Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Today is going to be a really good episode. We're going to be talking about digital marketing for the real estate investor. And I got a cool guest on the show. First, let me tell you guys, please leave a review. If you listen to this podcast and you like what we share, you like the things that we talk about, you like our guests, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Or maybe it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, whatever you're listening to on this podcast, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Let us know what you like and let us know what you don't like. I do read all those reviews and it means a lot to me. So I appreciate that. Also, Go to the website, realestateinvestingmastery.com to get all of our previous episodes and show notes for this episode. We'll probably give you some links and stuff like that that you'll want to go back and reference. Maybe you're driving right now or you're running and you can't write anything down. But we have all the show notes and all the links at realestateinvestingmastery.com. Let me tell you one more thing here and we'll jump in our podcast with Greg. I have a Wholesaling 101 mind map where I walk through the entire wholesaling business step-by-step, step, like the simplest and fastest way to do a deal without all the fluff, without all the extra fancy, complicated stuff, like just pad and paper. Let's do a deal as quickly as possible. What do you need to do? And we broke this down into a mind map and it's completely free. If you go to flipmindmap.com, flipmindmap.com, you get that. You get the mind map, which has the checklist, the contracts, the scripts, the calculators, the postcards, the contracts, all that stuff that's in there. We have videos walking through the mind map. You get the actual mind map itself and you can get transcripts of all the videos and it's completely free. So you can get it by going to flipmindmap.com or text the word flip to 313131. Again, you can text the word flip to 313131 and we'll get you a link to get that right away. Okay, cool. Leave a review on the show. Ed. You know, we've been doing this for seven years now. It's so much fun. I enjoy doing a podcast and we do a lot of them. We're, we're doing three episodes a week, which is a blast. <laughs> I can't imagine not doing this. I really enjoy talking to people like our guest today. And I hope you get as much joy out of it as I do too. Cool. Now, uh, we got a good guest today. His name is Greg Bilbro, but he prefers to go by Bilbro. And uh, Greg or Bilbro, sorry, where do you live? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm sorry if you just heard a little bit of feedback. That was actually your video playing through my Bluetooth, so I apologize. Oh, no, I didn't hear it. Head glitch right off the bat. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hear it. Good. So you're in Scottsdale, which is Phoenix, right? Yeah, correct. Cool. And uh, we've worked together before. You, you you bought my courses and stuff like that, and and um, you, we just met. Uh, was it the first time, Bill Bro? I apologize if it wasn't. We met in San Diego. Was that it the, was the first time, and I know you're uh, famous and, and probably have no. paparazzis and people chasing you, <laughs> no. so I'm sure it is a little challenging for you to know. You're a big deal and a big name, so I'm sure you do meet uh, a lot of people. But the first time you and I met face-to-face -face was in San Diego at the Trafficking Conversion 2018, which I think was about six, four, five, six, seven weeks ago. <laughs> you know, it's embarrassing is I have a real good friend, J.P. Moses, and if J.P.'s listening to this, hey, man. He was also at this trafficking conversion conference. It was an amazing event, wasn't it? It was really good. It was. And um, I spent like, I went to one or two workshops with him, you know, one of the breakout sessions. And later we went, we have a mutual friend that had a party. We went to his house and then we went to In-N-Out Burger together and we hung out. And about a week later, I'm talking to him on the phone and I said, JP, were, were you at that conference? I can't remember. <laughs> and... <laughs> As soon as he started laughing, I thought, oh, man, I did it again. I screwed that yeah. up. He was there. And sure enough, I spent all that time with him. But um, there was – like, how many people? There were five or 6,000 people? I think it was five or so thousand people. And it was my first time ever having gone there and having recently drank the marketing Kool-Aid. It was uh, newer to me. So it was a little overwhelming. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I can't imagine if you were new going to that. So what it is, if, if all of you are wondering – it's a digital marketing conference, right? So people from all different industries from all over the world come to an event like this. And this is the biggest one in the uh, digital marketing circles. And talk about all things digital marketing, Facebook ads, SEO, 
Google ads, um, building funnels or webinars or, you know, and it doesn't have to be in the information marketing space, right? It could be for, there are a lot of people there and this is what we're going to talk to Bill Burrow about, that, about how to get seller leads and how to get buyer leads using these strategies. So I, I love marketing, Bill Burrow. I've been talking about for a long time, like we're not in the real estate business, we're in the marketing business, right? And so marketing is the most important thing that we do. So we were talking and I said, hey, listen, can we talk about digital marketing? Like, what are you getting out of this conference that uh, can, you know, investors can apply in their own business to get more leads, to get better leads, to, you know, automate this process so they're not spending or wasting tons and tons of time filtering through unmotivated leads, right? Yeah. So, Bill, bro, talk. Let's give give us the first little history of you and your background. Where, how'd you get into real estate? Sure, sure. And I'll, of course, be as concise as possible. Um, I went to college in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and got a couple of degrees in science. I was going to go into medical school, but uh, apparently they don't like kids with a B average, so that <laughs> didn't pan out. Um, I I eventually went into business. I actually got hired by New York Life and now I Security, the big Fortune 100 company. And, uh, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know my knees from my elbows, but I had a, uh, a proclivity for sales, which we had found out during that process. So I was a Series 7, uh, 6 and 63 fee-based financial planner. The Series 7 is for securities, one of many licenses for securities. And I did that through my, all my 20s. And I just say that because uh, that's what taught me whatever, but that big body of knowledge about like sales and identifying prospects and handling objections and, and all the, that good stuff. And so I got a pretty decent education. That career led me from Albuquerque, New Mexico out to Scottsdale. I was headhunted by a local firm out here, which they hired me and came out here and bought a nice big fancy house. And then six months later, they, uh, they fired me. And then about six or so months after that, like the whole world basically, you know, cratered, which was the 2000 and seven, eight, nine, and 10 meltdown. So everything was just terrible. And Phoenix is one of the hardest hit cities, I think, in the whole United States. Yeah. But at that time, I had uh, met another coach and uh, hired him and took his course. And he was fantastic. And that at least got me started so I could get back up on my feet. And I knew I didn't want to go back into the uh, financial planning securities industry. Nothing wrong with those guys, nor that industry. I just do not understand it. And I spent almost 10 years at a high level doing it. And I just, I don't want to call it smoke and mirrors, but man, it's just not clear and simple and transparent and easy and obvious. It's everything but that. They're very good at obfuscating um, how to sell their products and make money where the consumer thinks they're doing a good job. So anyways, I just, it it didn't rub me well. So I went into real estate um, and as an entrepreneur, I did a few other things too. I flipped a couple of tanning salons. I started a flooring business, uh, a restoration flooring business. Um, but I also started flipping, and I think the 08 or 09 uh, timeline. And I raised some money from some investors in Texas who were friends of a friend. And I was off to the races, and it was interesting. I was doing well for the first year and a half or two. I mean, I got into a six-figure pace probably inside the first 12 or 18 months, which is, which is great. You know, that's wonderful. No harm, no foul. But what I didn't know and what my partners didn't know is uh, just how bad it was getting and how quick and how bad it was getting, the 0, 9, 10, and 11. Hmm. And so we just didn't have enough uh, – we just didn't have enough juice. The economy just ate us up. And Phoenix was just like flipped upside down. And no matter how good or how well-funded you were, you just couldn't do anything right here in Phoenix. So um, I went through a really, really major setback and, and, and a default – and shame and guilt and frustration and embarrassment. I mean, I went through all that, all of mm. those things for a couple of years. Yeah. But I learned a bunch of stuff. And eventually, um, I had found and started to understand that wholesaling, as everybody I think on the podcast probably knows, um, you really can do it without money. And uh, you don't have to do construction. And so if I, since I had no money, and I don't like construction, and I just don't understand how to do construction well or efficiently, You know, I don't know if I found wholesaling or wholesaling found me, but I've been doing the investment business for almost 10 years. I was a light, I'm licensed as a realtor, I think since 2011 or 12. And that was just because there was easy commissions there. It wasn't really something I did as a major thrust. Although two years ago, a third of my income was as a licensee. Um, But I've been doing this almost about 10 years now. So that's been the, that's been the development. Okay. Now 
definitely believe me. And I know you know this, like there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, me included, who can relate to that shame and embarrassment of, of, you know, going into default and things like that. It's, it's tough. I, you know, it's tough. And I would say uh, anybody who's going through that, I have a good friend, a couple of good friends right now, not in real estate that are business owners. And a couple of them are going through some hard times. I will say this, and I know it's easier said than done. And I also understand it's a cliche, but it's, it's a cliche on purpose. You have to go through that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's the only, in my opinion, there's only one path to like riches. And it is through the toll booth of giving all your stuff away, <laughs> right? You got to, you got to lose it. Or you gotta you gotta suffer and you gotta go through the hard parts to understand and balance uh, what the good parts are all about and how they work. And so when you borrow money like an idiot, like I did, and when you don't understand some of the more macro trends, and you're just kind of a wild wild west gunslinger like I was, all of that, you know, you pay the price. So I, I tell everybody, it's okay. It is super embarrassing. It is super frustrating, and it is the worst thing ever. But you will get through it, and it will teach you how to hopefully not make those mistakes, you know, ever again, and also be cognizant of what mistakes look like and how you kind of the slippery slope of falling into some of those, those traps so that you can, you know, stay prosperous for a long time. Good. Well, you know, I think about this too, because there's, there, uh, how do I say this? There's like, if you, if you haven't failed in business before, then I, I, question whether I could really trust your advice and judgment. That's right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if if anybody who's successful in business has failed before, and sometimes some of the most, most successful people have failed lots of times. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it gives you that perspective, you know, uh, not too tangential, but I kind of believe in a similar manner about personal and business relationships. You know, when you meet somebody new, whether it be for dating or business or anything, everything at the beginning is always honeymoon. Everything's great. But I I tell people, I don't believe the relationship has truly started until after the first dispute. The first time you took the gloves off and started swinging. Because that's just, that gives you that one of my business partners said the true color of a man is when his back is expressed and his back is against the wall. And there's probably a famous person who said something to that effect first, of course, but I really believe that it gives you that balance. And I think in business, if you haven't lost your shirt or, or, or kind of put your cojones on the table where the whole world can see what you think you're about ready to do, and then it not happen in front of the whole world. That really kind of shows you, you know, who you are. And I think people get to see that. And I'm not for like embarrassing people. And I don't want people to go through hard times like necessarily. It's just, I don't really know if you, if the person really understands how stuff works until you're put in in that precarious spot more than once too. I mean, not just one time, but more than once. And so, like you said, whether it's trust or just judgment, you're right. When there's a newbie or somebody who's just never touched the hot stove, they don't know what it feels like. You just got to question if, if their decision-making, you know, is balanced yet. Well, <laughs> that's well said. Well said. I like that a lot. Let's, um, I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about digital marketing. Well, first of all, I guess, what, what are you doing these days? Let's talk about that real quick before we dive into digital marketing for real estate mm-hmm. investors. Like, what are you working on these <laughs> days? Well, if you ask me, I would say I'm hard at work growing my company, Geoflip. But if you ask my partners, they say... I am just goofing off at home, making mind maps, sitting in the world of like (laughs) theory and high level, you know, business architecture without getting anything done. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a disparity between me and my partners, which, you know, me and my partners are, we love hanging out with each other and and kind of poking each other in the ribs. So it kind of goes back and forth, but I think I'm hard at work growing my company and it's predominantly helping other investors, particularly the fix and flip slash wholesale Uh, investor with generating more motivated seller leads through what my company does, which is digital marketing. Okay, good. But um, so you're focusing on building this company. We'll talk about it, geoflip.com. What made you decide to to start doing this? Why not? Why aren't you just doing deals full time? Yeah, no, that's good. And that's a good distinction that I would like to make. I wouldn't say that I'm no longer doing deals, although I think 
explicitly that might be the truth today, but there's a little bit of a backstory to it. So I've been wholesaling almost exclusively for about five years here in the Phoenix uh, marketplace. And we, about five years ago, the long story short is I was doing direct mail and bandit signs like most people. And for whatever reason, I was better at bandit signs than I was at direct mail. And I don't know why that was, and I'm not even necessarily good at it. It's just at that time, I just had more uh, ROI and I just saw easier paths to profit. And it was a simpler system for me at that time. Yeah. But about five years ago, I went to my business partner. His name is Kasim. It rhymes with the word awesome, which is true. So Kasim has been a digital marketer and a traffic conversion. And a, he's a funnel, squeeze page, click funnel, you know, web builder guy. He, he's the everything guy. Uh, yeah. technology. And I approached him and said, hey, man, can you beat me at what I do? Uh, with digital marketing, and can you beat me uh, numbers-wise, metrics-wise, so much so that maybe there's more money left on the table where we can figure out how to pay you? And so he said, I don't know, let's give it a shot. Well, we tried uh, digital marketing right out the gates, and at that time, we kind of just did one thing. We just went through to the pay-per-click uh, you know, tactic, if you will, and, and just tried that. We didn't get fancy, and we wrestled with it for quite some time. And we went through a little bit of a, you know, ups and downs, as you can imagine. But it took us eight months before we made our first profitable deal uh, or our first deal at all. And I was $8,000 deep into an eight-month experiment. And at that time, we still had no profit and no deals in escrow. So him and I were scratching our heads. But lo and behold, one day a phone did ring. Yeah. It was in zip code A5032. We did an 8K assignment. And then we were off to the races. So that was almost five years ago. And since then, we've only gotten bigger, better, faster. And so that, what I call myself was a, at the time a one-trick pony. I abandoned direct mail and bank signs and said, let's do this. And he agreed. And we did this. And so I had been flipping in the Phoenix marketplace for about the last, let's call it four and a half years, uh, as a one-trick pony. Only digital marketing and only the, the way we've been doing it. Wow. Good for you. You don't hear too many people that do that. Well, it's probably bad business advice. You know, anytime you're a one-trick pony or you have a single point of failure, you're putting yourself in a precarious spot. So I'm not saying it was smart or a good idea. It's just it's the path we ended up taking. And, and the other thing I will say that's just important to note is my business partner is truly like a brilliant, brilliant guy. And I'm not just saying that. He's a brilliant human, human being like IQ. But he's also a very, very, very smart and good business guy, and he just knows how to figure stuff out. I mean, you could put him in you know, quicksand, and he'll we'll figure it out. He really is a smart guy. So I actually doubled down on him. I, you know, I kind of thought, let if Michael Jordan is on your team, you know, let's play some basketball. I'm going to bet on my team, and so that's I did that because he's that good. Awesome. All right. So, uh, what does digital marketing mean to you for the real estate investor? Can you define it? Well. Um, I will do my best. However, I want everybody to know something. I am not a technology wizard. Um, and sure, we're in a technology space and the company is, is, is built on, on technology. But I'm not definitely, uh, definitely not the guy to talk about SEO versus paid versus content versus funnels versus top of funnel offer, bottom of funnel offer, tripwires. You know, when I went to digital market, uh, the, the TNC conference, the digital marketer traveling conversion conference, I learned how much I don't know. And I don't know all that stuff. So I don't know if I'm the best guy to define digital marketing. Here's what I can say to try to put a box around it a little bit. Digital marketing, of course, is online. It's only on the computer. Uh, it's, it's nothing else. It's none of the analog or traditional methods. But what we have built is basically a system um, and a brand and a process that's built on paid search on top of that. And all of that together is our expertise. But that little tiny niche that I just described is like one one thousandth of what digital marketing is, right? It's just so much of a bigger, broader uh, subject. And all of those can work. You know, plenty of people say they do well on Facebook marketing. Uh, we, don't, we know how to do it, but we don't sell it because we haven't been able to reproduce it consistently enough where we feel confident in it. Plenty of people say they do SEO and do well. You know, we're real good at SEO, but we don't sell it. We don't advise on it. We don't consult on it because we haven't been able to build a commercially viable product that's consistent enough where we can put our name on it. Not yet. I mean, we're working on these things in the lab. But all of those things are digital marketing. All of those things are viable. 
But what we do is really a very tiny, tiny niche. Okay. What do you mean by tiny niche? Well, there's so many ways of doing digital marketing. Like I said, you know, there's content creators out there that they do these big, long blogs and this okay. high value okay. content. Yeah. You know, we don't do that stuff, if that, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, um, can we dive into some details of what it is that you actually do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I guess long story short, the best way to describe it is digital marketing. I think everybody could agree that marketing should be a never-ending optimization process. You know, it's, it's the continual pursuit of driving efficiency, at least in my opinion. Now, you might get up to a wall where you, you've made it as efficient as you can make it and you don't know how to make it better. And so you just say, cool. And then you let that thing run. And you work on other parts of your business, whether it be funding or financing or sales acquisitions or whatever. Uh, but with, with our company, when we had tried this about four, five, four and a half, five years ago, we basically just threw some money at Google AdWords. Um, that's how we got started. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people do that. It's one of those things that it's like DIY to do it yourself. Anybody can throw money at like a Google AdWords or Bing AdWords. And there's nothing wrong with that. I will say this, and this is certainly not just like a plug or a, or a pitch back to us, but it's just so much more complicated than that. <laughs> and you know, the, the, the challenge that even I faced was that almost everybody on this podcast, I assume, or many people on this podcast, they're really bright people that have figured many complicated things out in life. They're entrepreneurial. They know how to, uh, to find the value, the needle in the haystack. And so they take the same approach, but I will just say that AdWords and, and pay-per-click is a monster that is just an order of magnitude more complicated than I think what people think of it at the beginning. But like everybody, we just threw a little bit of money at, at Google AdWords and I think being early on just to, just to get some data to, to learn how the thing works. So we did that for a while, but there's some components that I think everybody should know, and I don't want to give away too much secret sauce, but, but I think everybody should understand that some of these fundamentals um, are at play and it's important for them to, to do some of their own testing. If you just do pay-per-click marketing, I don't feel you're going to get great results. And the reason why is because how traffic works and where they come from and what excites them to convert calls to action and other things, all of those things are at play. One piece that I will share with the group that I think everybody should consider is that different traffic and different people want to be converted for different reasons and purposes and at different times. One example I use is um, younger people, probably younger people don't have a house where they are already in a, a pickle and they need to sell, but it, it's not impossible. But younger people, let's just say, I don't know, sub 50 or sub 40, whatever younger means, you know, they're, they're, they're a text, a texting kind of a community. Certainly the 30 year olds like to text everybody, yeah. but it's not common that you find 60 and seven year olds that want to text. And so that's exactly what I mean. You could have a 30 year old losing their house and a 70 year old losing their house, but the way in which they wish to convert themselves as a lead, meaning the, the, the modality could be different. A 70 year old has for 40 years called 1-800 phone numbers. They're familiar and comfortable with 1-800 phone numbers. It's something they've been doing, you know, since forever. Yeah. But getting a 30-year-old to call a 1-800 number, it's just laughable. It's just not going to happen, right? At least not over law, not um, over high num large numbers. I'm sorry. So it's other things like that 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 highlight some of the differences in just good old pay-per-click marketing versus how to truly make motivated seller leads land in your inbox that have motivation and have equity. It's just a bigger picture than just pay-per-click marketing. I might be a little off subject, uh, subject Joe, but all those things I know are, are relevant. Okay. Let's talk. Can we talk about Facebook ads? <laughs> you can talk about Facebook ads as much as you want. I don't know t a ton about that, uh, to be honest with you. Maybe you okay. might know more than I do, but we... We've done, I believe, three Facebook ad, we call it the lab. So, so we throw money at some of our own things so that we can test and we can make mistakes on our dime before we, you know, before we do anything else. And I think that's just high integrity. I think everybody could appreciate that. But the three times that we've done Facebook, and by the way, my team, they're really sharp people. I mean, my business partner, I think is top 3% Google certified in the world. And there's 20 or 25,000 Google certified partners 
My business partner, his agency was also ranked top 10 in Arizona. Uh, there's three or 400 agencies. So he's also, you know, an author uh, with a best-selling book on Amazon. I, I know I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like something to the effect of the seven critical steps uh, of highly, um, I think, of digital marketing or critical steps of something of that nature. You can look it up. And so my, my partner is no slouch. But even with all of that kind of behind his name and his entire team, doing Facebook ads, still we have not been able to crack it with a certain level of consistency where we feel like we could sell it as a service. And really, to be honest with you, we don't know really anybody. I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but I don't really know a whole lot of people in the space that, that have done it. Are there people that will sell you some sort of Facebook marketing, digital marketing, motivated seller lead solution? Yeah, those people are called salesmen. Mm -hmm. But I don't really know somebody that has been like killing it consistently where they can point to the, the scoreboard and say, Somebody hired us or bought our service or our product and look at the results on a consistent basis. So ourselves, we're included in that, in that um, description. We haven't been able to do it efficiently enough times where we can bring it to our customer base either. So it's really not something, Joe, I'm, a, I'm an expert in, although <laughs> we're trying to get better at it as fast as we can. Well, Facebook ads are not, definitely not getting any easier, are they, with all the changes that's going on with Facebook right now? Well, that, you know, that's another, another thing that I'd like to bring up. Um, you know, I don't pay attention too much. Well, I try to pay attention. I guess I would just say I don't have comprehension and, and a thorough understanding of all the changes that Facebook is doing. And one of our clients brought up the other day, I think a week ago, about how Google makes changes every once in a while. And one of the recent ones was a thing called Panda. Again, for the technology people, you're probably laughing at me because I know these things may make more sense to you guys than me. I just, when I'm at the water cooler, so to speak, with my, my team, you know, I hear these things from our tech guys. And I understand that these are hurdles that they got to figure out. This is kind of what I, uh, what I mean by it's more technical than what people can appreciate. If you think you're a smart guy or gal because you've figured out stuff throughout the many of years, that's probably true. But this thing, meaning digital marketing, it's just a different animal. I mean, there are like computer code experts and big data people and algorithms. And I'm, you know, just saying big words right now to make it sound scarier than it is, but it is that scary. There is a high level of sophistication wherever there is money to be made, you know, where there's money to be made, there's sophistication uh, coming soon, shortly thereafter. And this is one of those things, in my opinion, digital marketing, where if you get it right, you can make a whole lot of money. And I know this because we've done this and we've done this for our clients throughout almost a dozen cities throughout the United States. And I mean, we're talking big money, six figures and a few approaching seven or at least a seven figure pace. So we know that there's value there, but just the idea of, oh, I'm smart and I'm sharp and I can do, I can watch a couple, uh, you know, YouTube videos to figure out how to do digital marketing. Man, I, here's what I would say is you might be able to do that but there is a substantial learning curve that's going to come with it. And that learning curve could literally be like six or 12 or 18 months or, or forever. You might never figure it out. Um, we've got one sharp guy up in Canada that I'm trying to make a client and he's a really bright guy. And he had spent 1500 bucks a month for three months in a row. And some wisdom came out of that phone call. He said, after spending $1,500 a month for three months in a row, I now know that I could figure this out but that I should not. Meaning he knew his time was better spent for the things that he's an expert good at, which is whatever, conversions and closing and flipping and wholesaling and whatever he was good at versus wrestling with the digital marketing alligator. So he intelligently said, you know, hey, I've, I've now learned my lesson, 4,500 bucks in 90 days. This is not going anywhere soon. I need to hire an expert. He still didn't hire us, but I'm still working on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's talk about that. What does GeoFlip do? GeoFlip is a digital marketing solution for the real estate investor, particularly the fix and flip group and wholesale group. I'm sorry. So both that business model buy fix and flip or wholesale is predicated on finding motivated seller leads. And one of the biggest differences between those two business models buy fix and flip versus wholesale, the buy fix and flip, you have to be good at raising money in construction and the wholesale side, you don't necessarily have to be good at raising money and construction, but you have to be equally as good, commensurately as good in the marketing space. <clears throat> but in both business models, either way, you still need motivated seller leads. Now, 
in Phoenix, Arizona, I haven't been able to buy anything off of MLS for I don't know how long, like maybe five years. I just stopped counting because it doesn't matter. Are there people that can buy a deal every once in a while off MLS? I'm sure. But it's just so competitive that it just doesn't work. So we've been off-market specialists for five years. What GeoFlip does is deliver that motivated seller lead via digital marketing to your inbox, to your CRM, to your, you know, your acquisitions people. And it's basically been our secret sauce, if you will, that we've been eternally optimizing for the four or five years where we now license the software and license the system. So what we do is we only take on one client per geography. And it's kind of important because we want to make an investment in our clients too. Uh, we're not trying to have thousands of customers. We're really trying to help one solid uh, investor slash flipper operator in, in each ma- major MSA, Metropolitan Statistic Area, I believe is the acronym. Okay. And so we allow them to pick their marketing budget within some confines. Um, we do a whole lot of vetting and a whole lot of scrubbing on the front end. Um, I don't know the ratio, Joe, but I would guess out of, if we were to talk to 10 investors, we'd probably not do business with seven or eight. And it's not because of anything other than we're really just trying to find the best, like the number one person out of 10 in a geography. So we do a whole lot of scrubbing uh, ourselves. Hmm. Well, um, can you be more specific then? What kind of marketing <laughs> do you guys do? Like I want to try to get, try to get as detailed as you can. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. And some of this, and I apologize if I've got a little bit of a raspy voice for four days now, I've had this cold. So, uh, I probably don't sound um, as presentable as I should. I'll get as detailed as I, as I possibly can. It's interesting. There are pieces of this business that I, that I just also don't understand, right? The tech team. And I kind of wanted my tech partner on the horn today to help us with some of that stuff, but that's, you know, a, okay. So when we bring on a client, we're looking for, we define loosely internally as this thing called a whale, which just means a sophisticated uh, investor. A whale is loosely, you're doing two deals per month for 24 months or more, and you have a $5,000 per month marketing budget or higher. Uh, And you do it full time, sorry. And so that's what we just call a whale. Now that is kind of a minimum threshold and anybody above that is probably a good fit for, for who we are and what we do. And what we do is we clone our existing website. And we've had our website going for, I think, four or five years, but it's, it's more than just a website. If you've ever thought of a website, somebody who's been on it 24-7, constantly tweaking it and constantly optimizing it to make it a, a more viable and more efficient tool, well, that's what we've been doing with our website. And we clone that website. We change the name, uh, the domain, and a few other things uh, to fit the client in the particular geography that we're doing business with. And then we let them pick the marketing budget. Now, the marketing budget is, is significant. This is one thing I want people to really pay attention to because I would prefer them not to, not to spend their money erroneously. This is not something that I feel you can just spend a thousand bucks a month on. It's way too small, especially if you're in a big city. Like this is something you should be spending many thousands, four or five, thousand dollars a month on up our minimum is five thousand dollars a month that's where we start we look for people that spend ten and twenty thousand dollars per month as well on up to 30 and even bigger it works better as you get higher in numbers up until uh, points of diminishing return which are typically tens of thousands up in the air so we let our client pick that uh, marketing budget floor of five thousand dollars and then what our job is is our job as stewards of their money and we really do this joe it's important to us we we know these are big dollars and we know that this is an important decision for people. We try to do everything we can to treat those dollars as if it's our dollars, as if it's our principal dollars where we're flipping um, because it's our system and it's also our name on it. What we do is we deploy those dollars inside their geography. We just recently onboarded a client in Dallas and she's a sharp gal, super sharp. And so we had her pick out the geography that was important to her. I don't know how many counties are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but there was a bunch of them that were her favorites and a couple that were less favorite. And so we had her outline those in what's called a geofence, which is just a fancy way of saying a line in a, on, a gra- on, sorry, on a map that identifies your, uh, you know, your flipping target or your backyard. And our job is to deploy those dollars with our know-how, with our knowledge, to drive traffic to our custom landing pages. Now, our custom landing pages, again, same thing as uh, the website and a few other things. It's something that has been 
being optimized every single week for four or five years. And I say every single week on purpose because we've had weekly meetings, probably 45 a year for five years. And so that's key because when it comes to optimization, we have, we have in our system, in our SOP or standard operating procedure, every single week we've met with, you know, a few vacation Christmas and New Year's and such. And every single week we've met and we've identified what are the uh, Dan Schwartz that Investor Fuse likes to say, what's the 80-20, what's the 80% of stuff producing all of our results, or what's, I'm sorry, what's the 20% of stuff producing 80% yeah. of our results. And we would consistently optimize the landing page, how we say it, how we spend it, how we deploy it, how we capture it, how we convert it. Every single one of those things matters from A to Z, womb to tomb for almost five years. So we take the client's money, we deploy those dollars, we spend it as best we know how, and then all of those leads, whatever is produced through the system, through that entire thing that I had just described as far as digital infrastructure goes, the traffic to the landing pages, to the websites, the conversion methods, which are calls, form fills, and chats, which I'll go over in a sec. All of that is then pointed to their CRM or their acquisitions team. Now, did I, is that too confusing or is that pretty uh, broken down into some simple parts? I think so, but like, I'm still unclear on what exactly you guys do for them. Like, is it Google pay-per-click ads? Is it um, Bing ads, Facebook ads, or is it just all of the above? Do you buy ads from other, or buy leads from other providers? And um, Oh, gotcha. So I'm kind of looking for like, so, so somebody can see what you're doing, but also kind of get an idea of what's working today and what they should be doing in their own business as well. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, okay, I got you. And, par- and pardon me if I had maybe uh, made it more complicated than, uh, than the question is called for. We don't buy leads from anybody else. We generate everything ourselves. And we, we deploy clients' marketing dollars, and we deploy it specifically into Google AdWords and Bing, but you can't stop right there. And that's the key that I really want to drive home. Okay. Anybody can throw money at Bing and, and, uh, and AdWords. Go for it. You know, it's like have fun with it. There's plenty of our clients that have said, well, I think I could do this myself. And they can't. Um, but it's all the other stuff, Joe, that I had mentioned, and I'm trying to not necessarily like um, weigh one higher than the other, but it is the entire thing that matters. And I'll give you one example, and then I'll pause, just uh, so, so hopefully it makes a little bit more sense. If you wanted to go into business and sell sandwiches to make money, you could do that. But if you want to buy a Subway franchise, you've got to do it their way. And you can't not have their logo, and you can't not have their uniforms, and you can't decide to make sandwiches your own way. right? You've got to follow exactly how they tell you to do it, because everything in Subway is there for a reason. And just because you might not know how to make a better sandwich does not mean you know how to make more money than Subway. And so when I say we have built our system on Google AdWords and Bing, that is very true, just like a sandwich. But it is the way in which you spend it. It's how you spend it. It's how you capture it. It's how you convert it. It's how you study it. And it's how you optimize it that makes the difference between a sandwich guy and a Subway shop. I hope that wasn't too confusing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So there's, there's a process too then when the leads come in. That lead comes in and they go through certain steps or whatever. So what are some of the things you have – those leads do when they when they first come to your site? Yeah, so that's a good question. And it's actually a great segue into, I would say, the biggest and or most important thing that we've built that has nothing to do with digital marketing, but we feel it's an absolute necessity. So traffic will come to uh, websites and landing pages that we've built that we've been optimizing for many years. And traffic will do what traffic does. Most of it will bounce. Most of it will not convert. But this business is, of course, obviously uh, profitable from the small percentage that does convert and for the homes that you do flip. Now, my partner could speak to this a little bit more um, uh, intelligently, but I'll give you one example that's something that we've learned about the traffic yeah. over the many years in the, in the many geos is traffic on the East Coast is different than traffic on the West Coast. Now, we didn't know this, and I, and I can't even say we have hardcore stats. It's maybe more anecdotal, but we see these trends. A lot of times what people on the East Coast will do is traffic will hit a landing page. And that landing page that we've built basically says, hey, if you want to sell your house, give us your information, basically. But what traffic often does is it doesn't trust the landing page. Now, I don't know why. They just don't. And what they then do is they bounce around and leave the landing page and go to the parent website. 
In other words, they want more information. If they're not convinced. And I don't know exactly what they do or where they go or how long they stay. But the point is, is that our kick-ass landing pages don't do what the landing page is supposed to do. They go to the website to go get more information. And then traffic does whatever traffic does. Some bounce, most of it bounces, but some either converts on the, that website or goes back to the landing page and converts there. That is in stark contrast to what happens on the West Coast. The West Coast, nobody cares about the web page. They just, the landing page is good enough. And if they're convinced that the landing page has the content and the solution that they seek, they're good to go. And they'll submit their information right then there. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So there's no way to know that, right? I mean, we're not a big fancy company. We're a group of less than 10 guys and gals. So we just, you have to spend money and you have to study that stuff. And then you have to say, okay, well, why, why is that happening? And so what one could then argue is that, oh, well, if the East Coast people, the traffic it goes to the landing page and then has a, uh, a strong desire to go get more information, more warm and fuzzies from the, the, the website, then you better make sure your website is kick-ass on the East Coast. It's less important on the West Coast. So then that tells you how to spend time, money, energy, you know, analysis, all that good stuff. Very cool. That's interesting. I'd never, never thought about that or heard anybody say well, that but- before. And there's more. I mean, there's more. I don't have a ton of other examples, but there's just a lot of little stuff like that that's critically important to understand. And the the tough part also, Joe, is, you know, we learn all this stuff in arrears, right? The only way you learn is because you spent money and it didn't work. And so that's very frustrating and very expensive. So what, what we do as a company is we don't spend experimental dollars. We experiment with our dollars. And then once we think we've cracked the internet, what I say is called crack the internet, which is far too boastful. But whenever we feel comfortable about we've done something consistently enough times, you know, then we will, uh, we will put client dollars at risk to, to then go do that. But earlier you had asked a question, which is a, a perfect little segue that I think is maybe the most important thing of that we've built that I would suggest everybody should have. And I'm happy to help anybody with this because it's not like a product or anything that we've got for sale, maybe one day down the road. But I cannot emphasize enough that you have to study the numbers. And, and that means it's a heavier statement than that. So we built a process, which maybe some people have heard. It's just, we call it the golden ratio. All it is, is you capture all the data and you look at the data every week. And if you look at the data every week, hopefully you will be able to start to see what works and what doesn't work. That's what I had said earlier about you learn everything in arrears. Once you've spent money for a while and then you spend money for weeks or months and then you realize, oh, wow, that didn't work. Well, that's frustrating because you spent money, but now you have to figure out, well, why did that not work? Or why was the conversion lower than some benchmark or threshold that's important? So something that we, that I would encourage everybody to do is you got to look at the numbers often and you got to look at all the numbers, not just the obvious ones. What did I spend? How many leads did I get? And how much money have I made? Those are the three easy ones. There's a lot more numbers to this that matter that can help hopefully point, um, you know, point you in the right direction. Okay. Can you talk a little bit maybe about what are some of the tweaks when you start, let's say somebody from the Midwest contacts you and says, Hey, I want you to, I want to, I want your help doing this digital marketing stuff for me. You kind of, kind of know what to start with, but you start seeing leads come in you start seeing bounce rates or you start seeing ad copy that works or different sales messages that work better than others. What are, what are some of the tweaks that you make on the website, on the ads, things like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's a good question because it's actually, it's a necessary thing. In other words, if you don't do what you just said, Joe, it just means that conversion suffers. And so it's critically important to do that. It's also important, in my opinion, to understand what we say oftentimes PPC is broke. We hear this all the time. I've even said myself five years ago, people say, oh, PPC is broke. And what we learned is oftentimes the end result is not what people want, but it is not because, quote, PPC is broke. It, it's all that other stuff that I had mentioned. So the language per geo is critically important. What the guys say out in Boston, we have a Boston client, um, and they're good guys, and they do speak with an accent, and it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And in Phoenix, Arizona, out here in the city, they say um, people say you live, that we live in the valley. We live in the valley. We're kind of in between kind of two mountain ranges, I guess, or, or whatever. They all say we live in the valley. But you cannot say the valley out in uh, Boston because they don't live in a valley. And that word valley has never been said maybe ever, you know, since the beginning of time. 
out in Boston. It's really particular the way in which they think. Language is everything. And so language and phrases and what you do and don't say are important. There's, and it goes deeper than that too. Like in Phoenix, Arizona, I don't know, I don't even know the percentage, but I would have to say it's less than half a percent of houses have a basement. And, and I'm not sure, but it's just tiny. Just let's call it zero for all intents and purposes, or it's under one. But there are, you had mentioned the Midwest, and there's just other parts of the country where basements are normal, right? Every house, or one in two homes has a basement. So you have to make sure that you speak to that consumer because those are the kinds of things that are going to be buzzwords in their mind or they're going to be looking for. Where if you say, we live in the valley and we don't buy houses in the basement, and you're, that message is in front of somebody that does not live in the valley and their house does have a basement, there's no way conversion is going to occur. So language is a big one, Joe. Gosh, I'm not sure if I have a, of a next best example um, I will say this, this is a pretty important piece of information that I think everybody should consider. And I'm going to kind of go circle back to a point, but it's just, uh, it's that important. Traffic wants to be converted for different reasons and at different pain points and at different times and for, for different everything. And so you really have to study that and understand, well, why would some traffic behave one way versus other traffic behaving another way? One of the most important things I could encourage everybody to do, it's simple, it's not expensive, you should just go do it right now, is you got to add chat to your website. Oh. Chat is that little box in the bottom right-hand corner that says something to the effect of, hi, my name is, you know, Suzanne, and I'm here to help. If you got any questions, let me know. Everybody's kind of seen those kinds of things. We just loosely call it our chat robot. The beginning of that is, of course, just a, a piece of software creating a prompt. And there is no human being as of yet. But as soon as the traffic wishes to convert, I'm sorry, engage, typically that means they type something in enter. And now a human being, uh, it goes from robot to human being. And now there's a, we have a trained human being that understands our language, that understands our geos, that knows what is considered you know, too pushy versus how do you get the information and not pushy enough. We've done some of that training with our, with our chat people. And so that's just critically important because not everybody wants to call your phone number and not everybody wants to fill out a form. And one thing on top of that is some traffic, they want to do two or more things, which we would call the highest demonstration of motivation. If traffic comes to your website or your landing page and they fill out the form, my name is Greg Bilbro. I own one, two, three main street. You know, here's my number. Here's my email. But then what they do is they also engage with your chat robot and they say something to the effect of, hey, I've got a house with a basement. Do you guys buy houses with basements? All right. That, and if the chat robot, the, the person says, yes, we do, may I have your name, number, and your email address and all that other good stuff. Now, I as traffic have submitted my information in two different mo modalities. Whenever you have that, in my opinion, again, this is anecdotal. We don't have stats on it. It just makes sense, though. It's logical. Yeah. Is that significantly higher demonstration of motivation, in our opinion, than a, per, a piece of a traffic only submitting their, their selves once. And some people even do it three ways. Phone call, form fill, and chat. That person, they're ready to sell. So do you have that – do you make those initial conversations with – for your clients? Or does that – when somebody initiates that chat – does that go to the investor, your client right now, or you don't understand what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. So we do all of our systems, a piece of what we build for our systems. We, we, some of a little bit of it is customized where we integrate with whatever the way in which they want to receive leads. Now, every flipper throughout the country has a different process. Some people, the owner wants all the, the leads going to them. Other people have a team in place where the team does acquisitions or onboarding or intake. Other people, you know, leave a voicemail. Other people, it hits like uh, CRMs, et cetera. So all of those we have custom solutions for, and we, we build it around our client, whatever is best for them, because we want to deliver the lead the most efficiently and effectively, the quickest way directly to them, however they want to get leads. With the chat, we actually have a chat product. I'm not necessarily trying to like pitch it, but we have a chat product where you can hire us, and every single month, all those leads that are created or captured, I should say, as a result of the traffic, that lead goes directly to wherever the client tells us to point it to. So if it's their CRM or their, you know, their cell phone or, or acquisition team, that's where it's pointed. Okay. Talk real quick about the follow-up. What kind of follow-up do you do for 
for people that visit a website and, you know, maybe put a little information in, not much. How do you follow up with someone like that? Well, you know, let me ask you a question. Are you familiar, Joe, this is going to, you know, this is going to tell the whole world just how unsophisticated I might be, but are you familiar with the phrase, I think it's called retargeting? Yes. Yeah. So I do not know how all that stuff works. I know that cookies are, in, you know, put on your whatever. And, and now, you know, the robots can track you forever. I don't really know how that works, but there is a fair amount of traffic that will engage with your value proposition, yeah. but they will not give the three pieces of information. The three pieces of information we try to get every single time is uh, a name, an address, and one form of contact information. If traffic leaves only not three, but two or one, to be honest with you, Joe, I don't know how we do that. I'm not really sure. My tech partner would be the right guy to answer that question, but I'm not really sure how we do it. I do know this. There is a solution and there is a technique that we've got. And it's not like we're secret. I mean, the, the, the IT gurus out there, they probably all know this answer. I just don't know the answer. Okay. So you're retargeting them with new ads. Of course. If they do put their phone number or email, are you, how are you following up with them at that point? Well, if they put their phone number, it's a, is that what you're saying? And we're going to be, hopefully the client is calling them ASAP. Okay. What about, let's go to email then. Do, if they put their email in, but no phone number, what kind of follow-up do you recommend people do? You know, again, from the tech side, I'm not really sure, but I do have a, an operator piece of advice that I would highly recommend. From the tech side, I'm not sure how our software follows them around. I think it does happen, but again, I, I couldn't describe it. But this is what I would say as a flipper, because I've been a flipper for almost 10 years now. Yeah. If somebody ever submits their information, I think there's been, and more of the sophisticated flippers of the country would probably um, smirk because this is just what's happened in our, in our industry, is a lot of people have got skip tracing solutions. So I think TLO is one of them. I think Accurant is another one. You know, when I first started almost 10 years ago, my coach at that time hired a private investigator who they built just a, a little one-off product where his clients of the whole country could pay the private investigator a hundred bucks to get a working cell phone number to any name of any person. And that was almost 10 years ago. So I don't really know on the tech side, Joe, how we follow them around the internet space, but this is what I would say from an operator standpoint, you got to do this. And if you're not doing this, all they can say is your competition is doing this. So just know that if somebody submits their, let's say their name and their email address, but no phone number, you can email them till you're blue in the face. And we have done that. So you, so you obviously, you know how effective yeah. that might be sometimes. It doesn't work at times. You got to skip trace them. You got to find out who those people are. You got to Facebook stalk them, skip trace them, figure that person out. Uh, and you got to go get in front of them and see if, uh, if you can actually have a conversation with a human being. Yeah. All right, good. Let's talk real quick about, um, we've just got a few minutes. Let's talk about GeoFlip. Why did, um, or when did you guys create this? Um, GeoFlip launched uh, about a year ago, early 2017. Now there's a caveat to that. GeoFlip, the company started maybe a year ago, but what it is that we do, that's actually been our secret sauce that we've been building for five years. In other words, the, the LLC might be a little newer, but what it is that we do, it's really, we've packaged up our methods that we've been using here in Phoenix, Arizona for the better part of five years. And we essentially cloned and copied exactly what we do and how we do it here in the Phoenix marketplace. And then we've replicated it and customized it for our, for our clients across the nation. Okay. What else? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it's important to know this. Anybody who's getting into digital marketing, of course, do your homework. I can't say that we're the only option in the whole United States. But I will say this, and I, and I say this respectfully, I don't know, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I don't know of anybody in the country that has the track record we've got with our clients. And there's, some, there's a, a distinction there that I like everybody just to, to remember because I really believe in transparency and holding us accountable. A lot of marketers will say whatever marketers say to get the deal, but we're the only group that I'm aware of where we actually follow the traffic from the very beginning of when our client spends dollar number one, all the way through the entire process where they receive profit revenue dollar number one. 
So we capture all of that data from every step along the way. And what this does is it highlights the efficiencies and the inefficiencies throughout the entire marketing and sales cycle. And this is what's pretty scary about it. Joe, if we're not doing a good job, we, it, our system shows that. And so we really truly believe in this concept of radical transparency. If we're not pulling our weight, it's actually on our weekly calls. And our client will see where there are pieces of the chain, if you will, that maybe are not performing where they should. But it does go both ways. If the marketer is doing a good job, us, that's GeoFlip. And the sales team is not doing their job, right? They're not fielding leads. They're not uh, setting appointments, which, yeah. is a, which is a metric that she studied. What about this? Keeping appointments. How many times have you set 10 appointments? My question would be, out of setting 10 appointments, how many did you go on? Mm -hmm. Right? There's a fallout there. If you set 10 and you only went on three, okay, now we've got an appointment setting fallout that probably deserves a little bit of uh, um, coaching. Now appointments being set, how many of those did you convert? How low did you get the acquisition, the A to B leg uh, negotiated down? How many of those acquisition legs became into dispositions where you generated a profit? How many total closed deals do you have? And what's the total gross revenue? All of those numbers we capture. And so if we're dropping the ball, Joe, our client will see it. But if our client isn't doing well, it's not necessarily about anything other than how do we help them, right? If we find that they're in, unable to do something throughout that chain or, or do it well, we don't point fingers. What we do is we identify and we say, hey, we think this piece is suffering on the sales side. How do we fix it? Let's, let's figure it out. Let's call a coach. Let's call a buddy. Let's shore that, that uh, number up. And that whole process, that's called what we call the golden ratio. It's basically tracking every number through the whole process. So everybody knows everything all the time. Yeah. Very nice. So this is and Geo. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I will say this. We've been working on this for years. And when I, your content, Joe, is fantastic. I mean, you're just such a good communicator. And as soon as I saw you do a few mind maps, I went out and bought mind maps because it's just such a good way to, <laughs> to think about information and flows. And so I do everything on mind maps. I mean, this is a true story. I got in a fight with my girlfriend a month and a half ago, and I didn't understand why, why we were fighting. So I did a mind map. You know, I just no I had to get on paper. <laughs> yeah, I had to get on paper to see, like, well, you know, I, I feel this is a little goofy, but it just seems like a lot of life is starting to be relegated down to a binary decision tree. And whether that's with business or relationships, I mean, when you go to a four-way stop, you know, it's a decision tree. You can go right, you know, or straight or left or nowhere. I yeah. mean, everything is just becoming this, this, uh, this, this set of decision trees. And I'm not a software guy or a coder, but I know the code guys, that's what that is. I mean, it's just, decision trees and, and where decisions can go right straight or left. But anyways, you're just a fantastic communicator. I will say this, our system works incredibly well for the people who are in the fix and flip and wholesale space. But I think Joe, you add you and your, your, your students adds a whole new layer to this, that it's hard for me to even quantify because your system allows people to buy or get into the deal at a much higher strike price. It's no longer our, yeah. minus 30% minus yeah. repairs or whatever the math is, you know, you can do deals at a hundred or 90 or 80% uh, of market value. So I just wanted to say whoever's interested, I've not explored that, but I feel that our system and with what your coaching does, I mean, it just seems like it's like the perfect match. You know, it's funny. I had a student in Minneapolis who was doing a lot of direct mail <clears throat> and he was talking to sellers about lease options. And a lot of sellers would actually say no, because they'd say things like, this sounds too good to be true, or what's the catch? Yeah. And so he started telling them as a joke, well, the catch is you have to pay me $1,000 for me to do a lease option on your property. And then he started getting um, responses like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's, he's that's like, not too expensive. no. And then he thought, huh. Um, so he actually started sending postcards and would say, do a lease purchase on your house for only $49. And he would get people that responded to that and would go to, he had a link on there that go to his website. And sometimes they'd even pay the $49 and then schedule a time to talk to him. Um, so I've thought about this for a long time and maybe it's something we can talk about at another offline, but um, I thought about doing those kinds of ads instead of with postcards, but like targeting people that, 
maybe they don't have a ton of equity or they uh they just bought their house recently or they yeah. you know just know you know that, that it's a nicer home in a nicer area and they're not going to have the chances of them selling it for 60 70 cents on the dollar are slim to none what if there is a message you could put across their google or their news feed or whatever that just says something along the lines of uh you know executive company will pay you $49 to at least purchase your house or executive executive company looking for long-term rentals. Yeah. Something like it's just different than what everyone else is selling and advertising out there. Like we buy your house for cash, fast cash, fast closing. You know, uh, sometimes you got to think about if this sounds too good to be true from this person's potential customer's perspective, maybe it is. Well, you bring up a good point you're recommending right now trying something new and a little outside of the box. And there's no doubt that that's good advice. You got to put a little bit of money behind those decisions, uh-huh. but then you got to, you got to deploy those decisions. You got to make them happen. And then you got to study the data. And this is really key. And I know I sound like a broken record, but you know, go to Wikipedia. There's 180 known cognitive biases. This is where reality occurs, but then our brains has a different interpretation of the reality. Things like recency bias and, you know, there's a bunch of them, I'm not a psychologist, but we, as soon as reality occurs, our mind tries to interpret it. And now as soon as it's in our mind, you know, it's, there's, it's different. We describe it or think of it different or we misallocate uh, or we, there's a disproportionate amount of weight on one detail versus another. So you have to really get the data and then look at the data. You don't feel your way through these things. I think if you feel your way through these things, you know, unless you're a savant or you've been doing it for 20, 30 years or whatever, I, I feel that that's just going to lead you down the path. But you got to do what you just said. Create a new idea or concept, put a little bit of money behind it, deploy it correctly, and then do it consistently for the period of time you said, and then study that data, rinse, repeat. And the second part of what you had just said, which is critical to understand, in my opinion, again, and it's so abundant out here, is the we buy house fast for cash stuff. Yeah. I mean, talk about saturation. It, it's ubiquitous. And in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm sure this is coming to some other cities if it hasn't already, but we have two hedge fund. Uh, sorry, let me say that differently. There are two companies backed by venture capital now headquartered in the Phoenix marketplace that have, and I'm not kidding, literally a half a billion dollars. Um, I think offer open door, if anybody's mm-hmm. ever heard of opendoor.com. Yeah. I mean, I think they've raised like 300 and something million dollars to beat, to compete with me. And then there's another company called OfferPad, which is essentially a clone. And they've raised 200 and something million dollars essentially to compete with me. And both of them open door. The bigger one is nine minutes, like seven or nine minutes away from my hat, my condo. And OfferPad is, is just, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes away both of them located right here in the city. And they're, they're both buying your house quick for cash. No hassle, no realtors as is. Both of those guys are half a billion bucks. So you, you just be mindful that when I had said the game is becoming a little bit more sophisticated and it really is, especially out here in this city. And they're obviously proving concept yeah. and I'm sure they're going to be going to other cities as well. So Joe, you make a good recommendation. Get out of the box, try some things new, do some different things, but make sure when you deploy those dollars, uh, make sure to study the data and really be uh, intelligent on how you analyze them. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, good. Any closing thoughts? You know, I kind of want to just say again, to, to just pat you on the back, Joe, you just do a really good job, man. You, you don't sensationalize anything. And I can say this as a consumer of your uh, wholesale lease options course, you just do a really good job of saying it like it is and not telling people they're going to make a zillion bucks as soon as they sign up. And so I just wanted to give you a, a pat on the back for that. There's other people in the space that have a different way of, of how they sell their products and no harm, no foul. Marketing is marketing. But I just wanted to give you a, a high five and say thanks for doing that. Um, I think you do a good job and you, you deliver a very good message. Nice. Thank you, man. So, yeah, well, you do it. Important. Pr- appreciate it. So, Bill Bro, your website is geoflip.com. Geoflip.com. And it's obvious that you're very passionate about this side of the business. It's super important because so many people are doing the direct mail right now or are doing uh, just going on the MLS trying to find deals or doing the bandit signs. But 
looking at what you can do that's different and better. Obviously, this isn't for everybody either because you've got to have some money that you're willing to invest in direct mail. And I've always said this too. You got to be in this for the long haul. It's a long-term play. You know, you're you're going to do you're going to get good leads right off the bat, but you've got to give it time to grow because your leads will get better and more qualified. And if you already don't if you don't already have in place the team or the systems or the 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 people to take the calls live, to go on appointments, you know, and to be aggressive with your follow-up and all that stuff, that might not be the best time to invest a lot of money into uh, digital marketing. But um, this is really good stuff. And if anybody listening to this really wants to grow their wholesaling business and do bigger, more deals, you've got to work with somebody that understands this stuff. And what, well, I'll just say this finally, you know, I don't get anything by recommending GeoFlips. I'm just doing this because Bill Bro is a cool guy and the, these guys know what they're talking about. You know, sometimes we need to stop asking how and start asking who, because this is a huge topic. Like we were at this digital marketing conference and I was thinking this the whole time, like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. How am I going to do all this stuff? Well, that's the wrong question. I'm not going to do all this stuff, right? You need to start asking, who can I get to do all this stuff for me? And that will free you up to really focus on the 20% of your business that gives you 80% of your results, which is actually talking to sellers and making offers and building the systems so that none of those those leads fall through the cracks. Does that make sense, guys? Good. Good stuff. Hey, man. All right, Bill Bro. Thank you. Geoflips.com. Geoflips.com. Let's do it. And uh, Hey, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks, Bill Bro. Bye. Hey, guys. Don't forget, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the links and the show notes and check this out. We've done some podcasts before on, well, I was going to say on, we've done some podcasts before on marketing. I've done literally probably hundreds of podcasts on marketing. So this is a very, very important podcast, but go back and check out our previous episodes. Just go to the search bar and do a search for marketing and you'll see all the podcasts we've done on this. So this is uh, critically important. We'll see you guys later. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.